Revolution I can't get no call to action But I try and I try and I try Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp and I'm Giles Edwards' co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Brian McCready. Brian's stellar career includes a period as marketing director for media and sport at Getty Images, marketing communication roles at a number of large telecoms companies such as AT&T, and over 12 years experience as head of marketing at several international law firms. With more medals than Ryan Giggs, Brian has over 60 prestigious B2B industry awards, including the Grand Prix for Marketing Campaign of the Year at the International B2B Marketing Awards in 2018. Brian says, The most important thing in any marketer's arsenal is customer insight. Spend more time really getting to know customers. Spend more time with salespeople. And don't take no for an answer when you've got a good idea. Welcome to the show, Brian. Hello, mate. Thanks very much for having me on here. Right, quick fire questions, Brian. Mac or PC? Yeah, Mac. Football or rugby? Football. Ah, what team? Uh, you, you're not going to want to interview me after this. I'm Liverpool Football Club. <laughs> let's not talk Champions League then, shit. No, let's just part that, right? Yeah, right, easy one. B2B or B2C? Yeah, B2B. Ritson or Sharp? Or is that a trick question? Aren't we all meant to say Binet and Field these days? You've got, you've got to go Ritson, right? Yeah, okay. In, independent or network? Ooh, jeez. Independent. Is the correct answer. <laughs> be different or be distinct? Be different. And lastly, the long or the short? <laughs> You're not getting me on that one, both. <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. So, Brian, what was your first job and what was your first proper marketing job? How did it all start? You're, right, you're going you're gonna to completely take the mick out of me on this one, but I, I've been a bit of a grafter all the way since school. I had a job all the way through school and um, all the way through university, pretty much. My, my, my first job, I, I was in a butcher's shop in a big supermarket in South London where I grew up. And, and um, yeah, th- th- this is why I'm going to just out myself as a complete nerd. But yeah, my, so my master plan was I was going to be Luke Skywalker. Um, r- really, genuinely, that was the plan. And uh, the closest I was going to get to it was going to be an astronaut. So I, I, no joke, I went off and did a degree in physics, majored on astrophysics, um, I got a job um, working in in the defence sector, writing some pretty secretive physics-based software. Um, uh, yeah, signed the Official Secrets Act quite a bit. But um, the first chance I got, I got sent on a business trip to Washington, and, and and I snuck off, got on a plane, went down to Florida, and tried to get a job as an astronaut at NASA. Uh, no joke, and and it was just an incredibly naive attempt because I turned up at the tourist center, not in Houston, where the actual NASA is based, <laughs> and uh, and and they sent me packing, but. Um, 
I, I did try, um, but I came back to London. I, you know, I didn't have a green card. I didn't have a mission specialism. They gave me some pretty good advice, and I almost did a PhD at Oxford. Um, but but a kind of strange thing happened to me back in my job back in the UK. You know, working in the defence sector, that I, I actually found that I was better with customers and with clients than I was at code and at physics. Um, and they started putting me into more client-facing situations. Started working on pitching. They sent me off on a few um, courses by the Chartered Institute of Marketing, and this kind of light bulb went on. L- literally, I just thought, oh, bingo, I literally love this, and quickly, promptly moved jobs to a big telecom brand called AT&T in the States, and, and that was a really supportive environment. They gave me all sorts of marketing training, um, lots of business training, so I spent time in sales, spent time in product development, did work in business analysis, Marcoms, and, and, and the rest is history. I've, I've never looked back, I've been in in marketing ever since so yeah a bit of a bit of a strange journey really and has it always been in the b2b environment yeah you know i'd love to say that it was a plan but i remember sitting there in 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 the foyer and some folks got went got sent down the b2c corridor and some went down the b2b and and that was what basically chose my destiny and and you know really have taken to it i really enjoy it so yeah i've never looked back so b2b in particular then if we focus on that has a often unfair I would I would I would stress reputation as being quite a sterile space is that true in your experience no not 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 in the slightest um in, in fact I'm fairly well known for telling people that think that to kiss my ass actually um but yeah I, I mean it's, it's obviously it doesn't feel as glamorous as b2c right you know you, you talk to people in bars and at pubs and they've never heard of most of the brands that we we work for and 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 you know so it's easy to be dismissive of it but the, but the kind of the way i i looked at it very early on in my career was you kind of start realizing that almost every single thing that's in an office or in a plane or in a hospital or in a football stadium or in an airport or a school or a film set has, has kind of been put there by a b2b supplier and you know the things that almost every company or agency on the planet needs to survive and to thrive like people money it carpets websites you name it contract support it again was delivered by a b2b supplier and, and and really i think where it clicked for me is that you suddenly realize you know behind every single one of those things is is a fellow human being with worries and with needs and with problems and with ambitions and and, and b2b all we do is we're just there to help those humans to succeed and to overcome their worries. And, and, and you know, I, I don't want to denigrate B2C. You know, I'm a big fan of, of, of B2C. You know, folks in B2C, they get to work with carpets and toothpaste and lawnmowers and, and, and you know, you name it. But, but we get to work with aircraft and skyscrapers and movie special effects and MRI scanners and stuff. So, I, you know, I've, I've done a lot of great work in my career with NFL teams and Olympics and huge tech companies and stuff. And, and I, I just think there's more to it than meets the I and B2B. There's a lot of emotion. There's, there's a lot of human needs. I, I, I genuinely don't think there's anything boring about B2B. I just think you know, there's no boring products, just boring brands. And, but, you know, I, I think it's pretty good space. I, I love it. I've had a great career in it. You know, one of the things that I've noticed, I, I get, I'm, I'm pretty fortunate. I get to see, you know, I've, I've been a judge at the B2B Marketing Awards a number of times. Um, you know, I, 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 I network quite heavily in the industry. So I, you know, most of us don't get to see a lot of the good B2B stuff that that goes on out there because it's very, you know, it's targeted at very niche communities. You know, 
great campaigns for MRI scanners are only ever targeted to people that are in the market for MRI scanners. The rest of us will never see it. Same with people that are buying aircraft fleets. You know, the rest of us would never see it. So you, you do have to go and look quite hard for the great examples out there. But, you know, there's people out there using gnomes to sell scientific equipment and there's people using really heavy doses of innuendo to sell air conditioning units and there's people doing supersized Jenga with industrial diggers. You know, I've my teams have done mental stuff with, um, you, you know, the Stig and with stilt walkers and sponge fish. I've, I've, I've had fully chrome spades land on my desk. There's a huge amount. And I think one of the one of the challenges for, for my fellow Marxists is, is sometimes we just don't get enough of that stimulus and we don't get to see enough that inspires us to take that into our careers. And, you know, I think there's other impediments, there's other barriers put in marketers' way to to try new things. But you're absolutely right. There's a huge amount of creativity out there. And I think it's got just oodles of untapped potential. I think it's a great industry for creatives too. I think there's so much to be done. Do you have a favourite campaign? Do you know, I, I always, um, I've got, yeah, there's, I mean, there's, there's loads. I mean, everyone in our industry and in B2B, you know, everyone really looks up to the whole Jean-Claude Van Damme epic split, you know, because, you know, that was one of the, the crossover ones that the general public got to see. You know, I've, I've done quite a lot that I'm really proud of that my team have really done that's brave and different and we've won some awards. But I, I guess one of my favourites ever, I'm, I'm going to go back to that Gnomes one where it was a, you know, a little company that sells weighing scales and other stuff to academia. And, and you know, you might instantly think, God, weighing scales, that doesn't sound that exciting. But this one company, they're, they're, they're called Kern, their weighing scales were so sensitive, they sent a gnome to all, all over the world, South Pole, middle of the Amazon jungle that you know the deserts of north africa and stuff and and they weighed this gnome on their um on their weighing scales and the weighing scales were so sensitive that they proved that the earth isn't a sphere you know and i was just thinking and 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 the the amount of coverage that they got for that the amount of interest they got from science departments from schools that buy this kind of stuff was literally off the charts it helped transform their income and and you know who'd have thought it you know using gnomes to prove the earth isn't earth isn't sphere and there's there's literally loads of stuff out there that, that you kind of get to see you know actuarial businesses doing really crazy stuff on facebook um yeah i, I just I, I just think it's that there's loads and and i don't i don't think the problem is is marketers you know or, or lack of creativity i think you know there's things like you know we have to work on our persuasion skills to help help sell these ideas into our business um really um but yeah just unbridled untapped potential i think you mentioned you network a lot with other b2b marketers what are the main pressures you're all currently facing? I guess we're not p- police officers and nurses. You know, we're not in the front line, so the pressures in our world are different from other people. But you know, there there, there is a, there is a lot of pressure, and, and it's it's interesting. What, what I guess you read in the media, there's a lot of coverage about latest data and digital techniques and stuff. Actually, most of us, most CMOS you you, you talk to, ninety nine percent of the time, we're really focused on revenue and growth. So, you know, the, what you might pick up. Um, in campaign magazine or online is not what it's really like on the shop floor. I think we are all mainly focused on priorities. But yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's the usual stuff that everyone in B two C and B two B kind of gets. You know, we're worried about our budgets and deadlines and competitors and relentless need to stand out. We've got teams to hire and motivate. Um, you know, we've got management reports and boards to talk to. There's there's all of those usual pressures. But but you know, I, I think B two B has got its own specifics. Um, you know, things that me and my fellow marketers, I, I guess, struggle with, you know, the pressure of working face to face with salespeople. And 
that can get pretty bruising if they're missing their target and not going to get their commission payments. That that's I'm not sure if it's unique to B2B, but it's it's a pressure. You know, just talking about the clients. You know, we have procurement teams we've got to get through. You know, there's multiple stakeholders that in business buying decisions. So we have to communicate with a lot of people. And for a lot of them, they don't want to switch. It's a hassle or a risk to switch providers. Um, and, and so, you know, trying to convince and persuade people to try something new is is, is, is massive. You know, a lot of us have only got a few hundred target clients or customers in our market. So you have to fight really, really hard. So there's, there's a lot of pressure. But the biggest one, I guess, really is, is just everyone knows that we live in the age of accountability and, and there's relentless unbridled kind of pressure again on, on proving our worth and KPIs. And it drives a lot of short termism, um, really a lot, a lot of my fellow marketers are getting hit, you know, with hard monthly and quarterly targets and, and the long term gets lost in, in, in that noise. Um, Yes, yeah, it's, it's 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 complicated, and it doesn't help when there's academics out there moaning about or arguing about whether it's distinctive or differentiated. You know, most of us in the trench are hitting our quarterly numbers. Are you know, semantics about word choice is not top of our worry list, really. And how can you how can you navigate that? How can you navigate that need for immediate short term results when you when you know you need an eye on the long term? I mean, the first thing you have to keep hitting your short term results, because if you're not, you're under pressure. So it, it is largely unavoidable. But, um, you know, I think a lot of us, it's incumbent on a lot of us um, to start educating our companies and educating our peers and our colleagues in our businesses about the need for, you know, at least a, some kind of investment in, in the long term. You know, I think the work that Binet and Field have done recently is 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 really really helpful. In that, you know, I think it would be more helpful if there were more case studies in B two B of of how brands have helped grow themselves. But yeah, you know, I, I spend an inordinate amount of time. I've been doing nothing else actually for about the last eight weeks on 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 internal education and just helping helping people understand how you really win pre- preference in the market. How do you build a reputation? How do you earn the trust of buyers? How do you build desire? And demand in, in the market. Um, so I think there's a big need for education. I don't, I don't think there's been enough of that historically. There's been a bit too much short term stuff and inevitably quite a lot of focus on data and digital, I guess. We talked about this briefly before recording, and there's certainly a link to short termism and prioritizing activation channels and the associated expectations being applied to all marketing activity. But given a B2B sales cycle can last years, it becomes vital to measure not just conversions, but every stage from awareness to consideration and beyond. How can you do that? I've always felt it's important. Sometimes it's surprising me when you bump into people that that don't think it's important. Indeed, this week I shared around on Twitter a report by a business called Annuitas. They, They interviewed a bunch of CEOs and other C-suite members and and you know one of their findings was was very much that you know they think that brand focused marketers are focusing on the wrong things and by inference they should be focused much more on immediate sales targets so there is there is kind of a huge amount of pressure on it but I, I think you know there's leading and there's lagging indicators of health and and success there's how we're we doing right now and and re- revenue and sales is you know, is, is is a lagging factor. You know, you do have to look at well, what's our business health like in um in the market, and our propensity to attract future income and and lead pipeline is is a great 
leading indicator. But I think things like top of mind awareness and favorability and sentiment of your brand is is important. I think it's just a balance of getting long term and and short term um, metrics in, in place. I think you know balance. Is, is, is something I try and focus on and make sure I don't sway too heavily one way or the other. It's interesting. You, you, you talked about long-term stuff, you know, so I, I, I was recently uh, last year working on a really big campaign around construction disputes. And, and you know, if, if there's a big, huge energy company, for example, that has a, something, you know, something goes wrong and, and they get into a dispute with somebody over a big construction contract, you know, this could be worth tens or hundreds of millions of dollars perhaps, you can't nurture somebody towards having a construction dispute. You've just got to be top of mind with the client when if something goes wrong, who who's the first person they're going to pick up the phone to? And you want to be that person. So, you know, there is a need in long-term cycles. You do have to be top of mind. Um, you know, so I try and get a balance in my KPI list of, of long-term and short-term stuff. It's easy to understand why we are where we are, though, really, not least from a short-termism perspective because being a very talented marketer isn't in its own right sufficient because you need to navigate all of the complexities that come with a, a board with, with with various stakeholders involved in the sign-off and everything is pointing to short-term results and you know we could go we could probably fill a podcast episode or series in fact looking into all the detail around that and why short-termism arises and whether it's down to length of tenure and quarterly results and quarterly objectives but it's challenging and these and these are the conditions that marketers are working within yeah i, I tell you what i've got an interesting little anecdote this this you know impressions you know they never leave you and and, and i my first ever, so my first ever, I guess what it's called a proper marketing job. I was about twenty six, joined AT and T, and and got got sent off to uh, a big annual sales conference. So I don't know what it's like in in, in B two C. I don't know how the big sales conferences, but you know a lot of B two B brands. Anyone that's not working off e commerce usually has a big sales force, and and they're your typically number one internal client, and you have to have a good aligned relationship with them. And I remember naively going off to this first sales conference. I'd only been in the job a few weeks, I, I seem to recall. Uh, and I was asked to do a presentation about the product roadmap for the year or something. And, and naively, it was too inexperienced at that point to have sat there and had a look at what was the sales team's compensation plans look like, how far off their number were they as individuals. Uh, and so I proudly got up on stage, had some exciting news about some of the new products Um that we were about to launch throughout the year and, and got about one sentence into it before somebody stood up and started calling me an effing C wow. at the top of their voice. Um, you know, about 600 people sitting there and, and a whole bunch of them weren't going to hit their commission targets and they were worried about mortgage payments and, and, and lack of income and stuff because they felt our pricing was off uh, and they didn't feel that we, they could compete with their rivals and what the F was I going to do about it, you effing C? And, and I remember, you know, suddenly realizing yeah. in, in that environment, you, you know, the pressure to hit numbers directly affects people's lives. It affects your shareholders. It impacts what the media say about you. And, and you know, that, that pressure is kind of palpable. I've sat in one business, I won't say which, but, you know, where we were having a tricky time and I was asked by the CEO to sit on an investor relations call and you just realize how brutal it is when, when these guys are asking you big tricky questions about what are you going to do to turn around you know your revenue slump and and 
you know, that, that, that pressure is very, very real on, on Marxists. And, and sometimes, you know, people don't kind of focus on that. Yeah. Again, we're not nurses and surgeons and doctors and teachers, but, you know, there are pressures with it. Um, and we can't ever lose sight of that short term stuff. What then, off the record, and by off the record, I mean going out on a podcast, do you client side marketers really think of us lot operating agency side? Broadly speaking, so I I I, I love working with agencies, um, and and I'd always assume that everybody in my industry felt the same way. But um, a little while ago, I I, I, I co-chaired with uh, actually with the CMO of British Land. Um, we co-chaired a, a, a night. There was about thirty fairly senior B two B marketers there, and we we asked that very question: you know, What do people feel about agencies? Um, and we, we wrote it up. We could probably share the share the, the link. I think I sent it to you a little while ago, actually, Giles. But it, it was remarkable that, that literally 50-50, exactly 50-50, 50% of the marketers in the room saying that they just would rather not work with agencies, they'd rather in-house everything. And the other 50% said we'd rather out, we'd, we'd rather send more to agencies. And it was really quite polarised. So I, I use agencies as much as possible. I've probably got about four or five different agencies doing work for me as we speak. But um, I, I don't think everybody feels that way Um and it's quite surprising, you know, it's probably try and be helpful. Well, why is that? We try to understand why is that? And there's a multitude of reasons yeah, from, from the basic. Some people have big budgets and some people have small, some have big in-house teams and some have small. There's, um, you know, so, so different people are in a, in, a, in a different position. Some people are startups and, and some people are, are hugely established market leading brands. And again, so everybody has kind of different needs and different experiences. But there, there was, I remember there was one thing that really stood with me. Um, and, and I think, it, you know, I, I can relate to it is that, you know, marketing budgets that we have to play with are discretionary budgets. They can be taken away or they can be added to, uh, you know, depending upon how companies are doing. Um and if you've got an in-house team, it's typically companies think a lot harder about cutting back spend on in-house teams than they do. It's very easy to just say to an agency, oh, look, you know, we have to cut back a little bit. We'll see you next year. You know, it's much easier uh, to stop doing work with agencies than it is to, to stop doing work with your in-house team. So that was, again, that wasn't my view. That was just a finding of talking to these 30 or so senior B2B marketers. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just interesting. There was, there was very different views um about it um which was quite surprising i think yeah you you did send me that link by the way so um to everyone listening that has been shared and if you just head over to the episode you'll, you'll be able to enjoy that summary also was any of that your inspiration behind that wonderful poem you published last year i, I didn't open your email <laughs> the headline totally sucked well, i had i had a bit of fun with that yeah it that, that seemed to go down quite well yeah it's it, um yeah, there's a lot. I, I get approached. I'm sure you. I'm sure everybody in, in in business, your inbox is full of stuff that people are trying to sell you something or, or, or cut through diary. And and, and I, I love looking at my inbox because it tells me the state of the nation about how is marketing doing out there. And and at last 90, 95 percent of it's pretty poor. You know, a lot of it. Um, and, and, to put it in context, you know whether it's market research businesses. Before you do, we can we can listen to and enjoy that poem oh if you like. <laughs> go go for it. I didn't open your email. The headline totally sucked. 
Dear B2B brands, please forgive me. I'm not being rude. I don't want you to fester or brood. I'm not being difficult, nor tough, nor defeatist. I don't want you to feel ignored or mistreated. It's just that I'm busy. I'm hectic. I'm swamped. And your email didn't grab me. Didn't act as a prompt. It got lost in the noise. Got masked by the crowd. Sat there, quite hushed, not shouting loud. For my inbox has become a dire, endless battle. 200 plus emails a day rubbing shoulders like cattle. I just haven't the time to read through them all. I've got too much on to trawl through the sprawl. I've other things to do, other things on the go, like hitting my objectives, priorities, you know. So unless your mail's opening line is just right, you're going to have to get used to a fright. Your email is just noise, just wallpaper to me, like a tiny drop of water in a vast open sea. There's only one way to swim and not sink, only one way to ensure your click-throughs don't stink, and that's to make sure the benefits I'll get are laid out super clear from the very outset. For the art of persuasion is based on one thing, and that's knowing the value that you truly bring. How your product or service will improve my life, my problems you'll solve, how you'll end my strife. Which means focusing on the challenges I face and bringing me ideas to put them in their place. Your unmissable offer is all about you. And frankly, quite bluntly, I couldn't give a poo. Don't talk about yourself or the cool things you do. That's not the way to achieve cut through. Just send me something personal, full of empathy, and never forget to articulate what's in it for me. <laughs> no, it's a great poem. No, my, I'm quite embarrassed listening back to that. What, what, was Samuel L. Jackson not available to read that back or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have to thank uh, uh, our friend, friend of the show, Ollie, Ollie Mines, who, who is the Barry White of the copywriting <laughs> Thank <world>. you, Ollie. <laughs> um, oh, man, that's thrown me. <laughs> sorry sorry it was a last minute thing brian it wasn't on the agenda apologies but but it's to be fair it's i think it's a master class really it really is it, it's it's short and, and and sweet and there's so many good points in there mostly it's all about you focus on you know how you how do you improve my life we see it with you know everyone as you'd expect we see it with clients and agencies that that just talk about themselves and it's and it's it's clearly not the right right approach most of the stuff I get is uh, we'd love to pop in and see you and would you like to see our portfolio or we'd, can we have a call, please? And, and you know, it sounds a bit, it might, it might sound a bit evil me, me saying this, but if I'm buying creativity from people, I want to see a bit of creativity up front and, and everyone that gets through my door. Uh, and I do see a lot of people uh, are, the, are the ones where, I think there's a little bit of invention gone into it because that's, I think, ultimately what I'm buying. Uh, of course, there's people that aren't in the creative spheres. There's a lot of people with sort of great technology out there. And, uh, you know, sometimes I just need a translator um, or a piece of market research doing. So not everything needs some invention. But, yeah, there's there's a lot of fairly uninspiring stuff that that, that hits not just me. I'm sure you, everybody on, on, on the podcasts experiences that but just just one little trick i mean one thing that i always do and i hope my my colleagues will back me up on this i almost start every single campaign every single marketing project that we do here i've got this slide of what a busy inbox looks like and you know it's just wall-to-wall emails and and the simple starting question i just looking at that is is just remind people right that's the customer how we how we cutting through that lot um or or sometimes i'll show people's busy diaries and just say how how are we going to cut through that lock I, I always really loved that Stephen Pressfield book you know was it nobody wants to read your shit or something and and I always use that as 
inspiration to make me think, right, what am I going to do here that's going to make anybody give a damn about what I've got to say? Um, it, it works for me as a starting point, and I'd, I'd love to know what other people's tricks are, but that's always, always, always my starting point here, that simple what's the human cut-through moment. There's a great ad, and if you haven't seen it, I will send it to you, but I believe McGraw-Hill, who by coincidence we did some work with recently, they ran this ad in the 50s or 60s, man in the chair, and he says... I don't know who you are. I don't know your company. I don't know your company's product. I don't know what your company stands for. I don't know your company's customers. I don't know your company's record. I don't know your company's reputation. Now, what was it you wanted to sell me? And to me, that's just a fantastic way of thinking what mindset customers will likely be in when seeing your ads. It's, it's, that, whole, it's that whole state of indifference, which I think is one of the biggest obstacles we face as marketers yeah it's uh you know, i think i think for me it just it, it sits really at the heart of the kind of recent marketing challenge where you know i, I don't want to sound like a lot I, I i use i use data and technology and digital channels at the heart of, of everything i do they're just incredibly useful tools just source of information i couldn't imagine doing any work w- without one but and, and it's a big but i think that on, on their own, they really don't do anything for you on their own. You know, they're just tools. And, and ultimately, we've got to go out there and earn somebody's attention and persuade them to respond to us somehow, uh, to capture their imagination and to inspire them and to build desire. And, and you know, I, really creativity, I think, has always been at the heart of that. And, and I don't think we live in a world where it's creativity or digital and data and tech. I think the two of them have to live in happy harmony, right? You know, but I think I think there's been a bit too much focus on one and not enough focus on on the old school arts of creativity and persuasion and focusing on response. So, um, yeah, that's why I kind of fixate on it a little bit, I guess. You mentioned earlier about educating people, whether I'm assuming you're talking about your internal teams. How, how do you go about doing that? And are there any freely available resources that you use that you can share with, with our listeners? I, I, don't, I don't think there's anything rocket science to it. It's just an investment of, of time. And, and so, you know, I, th- I think the Benetton field recent B2B data is, you know, re- really helpful. Uh, there was a Google, uh, I think Google and the CEB did a survey w- which showed that, that stronger brands, I think that they, they spoke to, several hundred or maybe even thousand um, buyers of business services, business decision makers. Um, and, and they said that, you know, um, stronger brands out there are more likely to get considered and purchased and less likely to get a price discount uh, pressure. There was, a, there was a, I think, an article that McKinsey did um, that, that showed, you know, that, that creativity was a business superpower. I can't remember the exact wording, but... You know, anything that McKinsey put out or anything that Harvard Business Review put out about creativity always works really well in B2B, you know, hugely credible. Yeah. Um, I, I just like to show other brave stuff that other people are doing just to remind people, you know, my colleagues that, you know, we're not alone. Everyone else is out there doing it. And, and I, I guess probably the, the most useful tool is just to remind people that, that our rivals are out there making noise. They're out there doing great stuff. Um, and and and, and use that little, you know, anxiety that, you know, we don't just want to sound and look exactly like other people and hide in amongst the crowd. We just don't want to do that. Um, mm-hmm. that. That usually 
helps people think, well, okay, what are we going to do that's a bit different? Um, but it's, you know, we, we, we're professional communicators. We, we think about this stuff all the time. And, and I guess business people around us in whatever industry don't don't think about it as much as we do. So I think it's just sharing our points of view, really, um, and, and just always relating it back to the imperatives of customers and growth and income, really. And as, mm-hmm. as long as you don't put it in the colors and fonts box, you're probably going to do okay. Your point about McKinsey championing creativity, I think it's fair to say, certainly from the, from the guests that we've had on the show, that the consensus is that creativity is starting to return back to where it was in, in, in a lot of people's minds and given the, the significance that it deserves, that, that maybe was lost. I think, understandably, the explosion of all these new fancy tools that have arrived in the last few years clearly takes attention away. And, and, and until you until you thoroughly use them and test them and and see what's what and actually conclude from the results you see you can't accurately say this this works or this doesn't yeah i i i think so it's just about you know that that balance it was interesting i went to um b2b ignite which is you know the 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 biggest b2b marketing conference in in europe it's an annual thing and, and i went to that recently it was really interesting because for the first time in, in a little while in, in any kind of marketing conference I've been to, big ideas started making a re-emergence. There were two or three sessions dedicated to people coming up with big ideas. And I hadn't heard that in, in a few years, in fairness. I mean, there was the usual other stuff to balance it out about, you know, people talking about DevOps, not quite sure what that is, and programmatic use of intent data. But, you know, I, I, it was pretty cool because for the first time, I think in a while, it felt that there were multiple different inputs. And I think if we can get, you know, in the industry, a few more people reminding ourselves of, of how pricing strategy works or, or you know, or, or the, how you build a positioning in, in the market, you know, just a little bit more. And I, I think we'll be back in good times. Um, you know, I'm, I'm ever the optimist, right? We have a couple of listener questions I'd like to put your way, if I may, Brian. Yeah. Now, asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger. But that's not stopped us asking. Starting with Rob, who has told us he works in B2B. And Rob has asked, um, and it's quite relevant given what we've just been discussing, have we reached a snake oil digital marketing tipping point yet? <sighs> um so no, not a chance. Um, <laughs> no. The um, you know, I, I think I think there, I think other disciplines are starting to come back. You, you know, I mentioned just a moment ago the thing about you know people focusing on big ideas. Uh, there's more focus on brand now. I think the Binet and Phil recent B two B piece is going to be helpful for that. But really, it's 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 here to stay. You know, it's I couldn't imagine doing anything these days that didn't have. Some token ever level of or some input on from data, from technology, from digital. I just I just can't imagine it, you know, really. And I think where it becomes a problem are, are, are the somewhat excessive folks out there that that claim you know their way is the only way, and and old you know they denigrate what they call traditional tactics and techniques and stuff. You know. I think there's been there's still a lot of those folks out there, and, and it's easy to be seduced by them. You know, they're promising to cut waste, they're promising, you know, super efficiency, talking to the right people at the right time. But um, you know, 
my response to them is, you know, Lee Clow, that, you know, the really famous advertising guy, you know, he had that expression, you know, producing excrement efficiently doesn't make the end product any less odious. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, I, I, I love that expression. And, and, you know, I think people that think digital is the only way forward and, and aren't investing in other aspects of product development, pricing, positioning, creativity and the like, I, I, I think they're missing something, honestly. Uh, and, and I don't think they're helping my fellow marketers. I don't think they're giving my fellow, you know, my peers good advice. Um, I, I keep coming back to balance, right? I sound like Yoda. No, you're absolutely right. And, and as you say, they're, they're often quite compelling, these guys selling this stuff. So uh... so I'm going to go with the whole Star Wars theme, but I just, I, I, I'm on one now. But I, I remember there was, um, I watched I watched the Star Wars uh, films with my kids recently and and, and oh, oh, Obi-Wan Kenobi just about, before he's about to beast um, Darth Vader in, in, in whatever the third film was called, he said, you know, only the Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, know, and, um, you, you know, we all know that the Sith are a complete bunch of tossers, right? So, you know, I, I think any, anyone that's telling you their way is the only way. I, I think you've got to just take it with a pinch of salt, right? And, and anyone that said the old ways are dead, I, it's, 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 yeah, it, it gets to me a little bit, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I don't know if I'm right or not, but I, but I feel you have to be a certain age to see through that. Certainly, a younger me is a bit more revolutionary and thinks, yeah, it's all about this, but. You know, that's just a process, really, isn't it? Maybe that's a, a maturity thing as well. Poss- possibly, yeah. I'm a bit of an old war horse, right? So uh... I wasn't pointing any fingers, by the way. <laughs> I meant, I meant in my. No, no, no. I think, you know, being more experienced kind of helps. Um, uh, and you know, I guess it's different if, if you've grown up in a, in a in an economy that's driven you know, dictated by LinkedIn and Google and Facebook and stuff. You know, I think inevitably you're going to have different inputs it was it was interesting I, I think i feel very very fortunate at, at the start of my career and this is not me you know going back to old school values or anything but i, I do feel very fortunate in my career when, when i started out that I, I spent as much time working on pricing or product development than i ever did working on on, on marketing communications and, and i think that i, I always felt really fortunate by having that investment you know i spent years on pricing and years on product development and it, it i think I feel now when, when I see a client problem or when I see a, a business problem that we're facing and we want marketing to help overcome, I, I don't instantly reach for communications and I certainly don't reach exclusively only for uh, tech-enabled ones. I, I try and think, well, is, is actually the underlying problem a pricing one or indeed have we got to redevelop our product or bolt something onto it or go and buy a rival, you know. Um, and, and I just, I, I, I wish for my peers and my fellow marketers that they got a little bit more rounded inputs on on some of those wider disciplines yeah you're right i mean rich richson talks about the you know communication and tactification of marketing and i think um the story you just shared has enabled you to see see past that yeah he'd be proud of me by the way we just spent uh, my team and i did nothing for about six weeks a few months ago but diagnosis just went through all of our numbers and all of the market research data we had and we didn't do a thing until we sat and mold it over he'd be proud of me amazing well did you know what that's that's music to my ears we we've just been through that process for a client and um certainly from an agency side if you're the one facilitating that type of diagnosis it would be interesting to know your thoughts on this actually it, i think it can be quite frustrating it's a bit like getting a website developed you get all, all the aesthetic stuff and all the sexy ui ux and whatever when it goes into development however the client doesn't see anything often for weeks on end and I think that research and diagnosis period is is, is similar in, in, in that respect. 
Yeah, I mean, thinking about it in hindsight, the question you asked earlier on about, you know, education, there's nothing like evidence and hard facts and numbers um, to, to help persuade colleagues about the courses of action that we we might want to take. And, and of course, that, that's where data is absolutely invaluable, right? You know, and, and, and I'll take issue with anyone that, 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 that that's denigrates kind of data. I know there's been probably people talking about big data too much, but, you know, it's just information and, and it gives us evidence and it's it's gold internally. Um, so, and, and, and in fairness, again, I, I genuinely, in B2B, I think the marketing industry is pretty good at, at audit and diagnosis and using data these days. I, th- I think they're, I, I think they're doing really, really, really good job with it, my peer group. Yeah, well, certainly from our side, we do talk to clients um, about the need for research and we do uh, regularly talk to clients and prospective clients who who are sitting on a wealth of research and giving it the attention it deserves. So, so I think that's a great thing. So Stephanie, who is a student in Bournemouth, a student of marketing and advertising. So she has asked if, Brian, you have any tips for briefing agencies? Yeah, I guess. Um, so I laugh because I probably think I, I might ask agencies that same question. You might want to answer, give your version of it, uh, Giles. But yeah, I'll follow. I, I, um, I, I always kind of take that, uh, what was it, that Rudyard Quick Kipling quote, I'm never going to get it right, you know, who, who, his friends are questions, who, who, what, why, where, that, that kind of thing. I, I won't get the right quote, but I, I always just take what, just write down some simple questions in the brief, you know, uh, what are we trying to achieve? Who, who is buying it? What are their motivations? You know, what, what problem are we solving for them? What are we selling? Why should they believe us? What impediments do we need to overcome? How do we reach them? What do we want them to do when they've seen our communications and how we know we've been successful? I, I'm, I'm sure I've missed some stuff, but it's the who, lots of who's, what's and where's, you know, just answer some questions for the agency. Um, I, I, I know one thing that, um, and, and, and my peer group and I, we admit we get this wrong quite often is I, I think we're B2B marketers. I, I think sometimes I see us making mistakes. I know I'm, I'm absolutely guilty of it. Let's just stick with me for a moment. It's where you get too prescriptive with agencies and, you go in and you almost present them with the answer and say, I want this doing and, and, and I want it on that channel and it narrows their options. So I think I think we I think we sometimes get true true prescriptive too narrow and I think we should just go back and answer some big questions. Uh, although saying that I, I just briefed somebody that I yesterday and I gave them the answer. So I, I need to look at myself in the mirror and sort my life out. I, think. <laughs> um, I don't know if I've answered your question. Um, I mean, Giles, what do you think from an agency point of view? What do you think? Keep it simple. It's hard to do, but it shows that the client has thought hard about the problem. We're we're blessed with clients at the moment who who all seem to know how to give a good brief. But I've come across numerous times the client who perhaps isn't isn't sure of what they're asking an agency to do or achieve and consequently don't do the hard thinking and just chuck everything they've got at you leaving the agency a with a mountain of material to try and understand and b a lot of ambiguity about what the brief actually is so try and do as much as you can before passing it over to the agency who are we targeting and not only who are we targeting who are we not targeting because again that shows the client truly understands what they're trying to achieve and with who and then what's our objective or what's the objective these people we're targeting 
what are we asking them to do? Because presumably it's something and it might be as primitive as visit a landing page or arrange a, a, a meeting or it could be a bit more direct and there's some type of offer. What's the, you know, what's the call to action? What's our position in the market and all of our you know, brand associations we want to come across? And lastly, something that, that um, often gets missed, actually, is, is how do we judge success? What, what criteria are you, the client, going to use to judge whether we've done this properly or not? There's a great article, a great blog from Dave Trott. If you Google Dave Trott, the binary brief, it's a really nice, simple guide of how to brief. Yeah, I think... Um... Oh, it's all good. I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, the, the number, I guess the number one question that's pervaded most of my, my, the top few questions that always pervaded my career. I mean, you, you mentioned right at the top of the show, you know, about the customer insight is, is you know, w- what value are we really creating? What's the problem that we're absolutely solving here? Mm-hmm. You know, which is just a different way. Why, why should anyone care what we've got to say? Uh, and, and then the second one is, why should anyone choose us? Really? Uh, mm-hmm. And if I don't know the answer to that, I, I, I start worrying. And that's what, if I don't have a question I, or sorry, an answer, I try and go and find one or build one. Um, you know, there's that thing about in, in B2B that, that it's it's a big deal for your customer to switch brands. It's a big deal to switch agencies or to switch your aircraft manufacturer or to switch, you know, your, the, the office that you lease. It, it's a big, big deal. There's, all sorts of risk uh and and you know we have to as b2b suppliers you know we have to have a pretty good answer to why would anybody switch and come to us you know how are we going to persuade somebody to overcome those risks and you know that 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 real deep rooted emotion of it's it's risky to swap people um you know, if, if we focus on that risk and um, what are we going to do to overcome that risk in the minds of the potential client or customer then it, it, at least it gives you, you know, it, it's a good starting point for all your marketing activities. I think it, it's what well, serves me okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think that's a, that's a, that's a very valid and brilliant point, really. And it's not easy. I mean, aside from the risk, which of course itself is probably the most uh, significant thing, it's also there's there's so much friction. It's not easy to switch provider even after you've decided to. There's all sorts of onboarding processes and procedures and getting added to supplier lists and due diligence and all sorts of hurdles to get past added reason why it has to be compelling and it has to be clearly communicated yeah definitely um so now we come to the final part of our interview brian which is our four pertinent poses so our usual questions are number one what advice would you give to your younger self your younger luke skywalker self (laughs) (laughs) Beware the Sith. They're evil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I, I wish I had been an astronaut, in fairness. I'm, I'm a bit pissed at myself. Um, but, yeah, I've, I've, I've loved my career. But, yeah, the, the easy one for me, just spend more time with customers. All day long, spend more time with customers. Yeah, that's, that's sound advice. Without putting words in your mouth, that kind of sits alongside the whole diagnosis and research piece, doesn't it, really? And, and probably doesn't happen anywhere near as much as it should yeah i mean uh, it, it just it's just so obvious when you actually go and uh, i know mark ritson would call it ethnography you know it's a big old word uh, it, but it's just the most rewarding experience to see what 
what their world is actually like and what you've got to cut through and what problems you actually solve for them it's it's really rewarding i i wish i'd done it more um i've not done it i've not i've done quite a bit but i wish i'd done a lot more uh, so number two then brian if you could banish one thing from the industry what would it be and why oh man there's 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 loads um you know I got in a massive debate with somebody recently about what the word engagement even means. You know, I'd have to put that one in the hurt locker. You know, if anybody, had, if, if my boss had heard, you know, if the COO or the CFO here had heard me having that conversation, they'd have thought, what a, what a, what a dick, you know, how the market <laughs> so wound up. So I, I guess jargon, but no, I'm, I'm going to go back to that whole absolutism thing where people insist that their way is, is, is the best or, or the only way. And, and there's a simple kind of reason for it. But, you know, back back to my world and, and, and my peer group of B2B marketers, you know, some of us work in tiny companies, some work in huge companies, some work in startups, some work in, you know, 100-year-old businesses. Some are in trouble. Some are fast growing. Some of us have got 10 Bob Hayton to spend. Some have got 10 million. There's, there's so much diversity for anybody that says there is only one way to do things. I just it, it's just not believable to me because of the diversity of, of clientele that we've got and, and problems that we're fixing for people. And, and you know, how you do things in, in Colombian B2B has got to be different from how you do it in, in Cairo B2B or in, or in Cardiff, you know. It, it, so, yeah, it's that kind of absolutism. I mean, there's, there's, there's loads of things that's nuts about our industry. You know, I heard people, there's a new fad scrappy marketing and a new one performance marketing. People keep giving stuff labels. I could go on about this forever. Yeah. Stop me. Let's move on. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Yeah. I'm, I sound like you. <laughs> <laughs> You're not that bad, mate. <laughs> Any books that you would recommend to our listeners? Do you know what? I, I just finished a really good book by uh, a guy called is it Tim Harford, the Undercover Economist. It's not a marketing book, but I, I really enjoyed it. It's not probably for everybody. I, I just wanted to learn a little bit about economics because everyone denigrates it so much these days. But do you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to no, I'm, I'm not going to recommend the book. Can I can I go off piece? I'm going you know, to there was I'm going to have a bit of a crack at can. And, you know, there was a lot of worthiness and, and truthiness, I think people now call it, coming out of can, and it all felt quite serious. And, and you know, I, I think culture has evolved. I think there is a serious nature to the world we live in at the moment. But I think the fun sounds like it's gone out of can. And, and, and I just want to, rather than a book, I'm just going to invite a few people down there, just go out and, and have a gin and tonic and go and have a night out in Wakefield or go to a car boot <laughs> sale or... Or, or go listen to a gig or something and just put a smile on your face and look at the real world, what, what real challenges people around us are facing. And, and, and let's just inject a bit of life, real life and humour back into some of the things, um, you know. Yeah, I wrote I wrote a blog post about a night out I had recently with 19 topless men in a pub in West Yorkshire. Little town I read it, I read it. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Tell, tell us, tell us. It was great. Yeah, little, little, little town in, in Rastrick and... Um, you know, I, I didn't intentionally go out with them. They just happened to be in a pub that I needed to be in for certain reasons. And um, got chatting to these lads who were quite well lubricated. And, um, you know, I, you know I, I actually do believe that purpose has a really important role to play within our businesses. And I think, you know, I think, I think it has some potential in a lot of our businesses as a in terms of how we position ourselves in the market, but but a night out with, with 19 fairly large, semi-naked uh, uh, Yorkshiremen, 
you know, remind you actually what the real world is like and problems one one lad was having with his washing machine and, and choices of lager that they were drinking and, and preferences for peanuts or crisps. And, 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 you know, it was just a really nice night just to remind yourself what, what life's really like. And I think a lot of people in advertising marketing probably need to get out and see the world again, you know, go out and have a night out in Pittsburgh or a night out in Seoul and, and just see the world for how it really is. You know, and, and again, I'm, I'm I'm not actually anti-brand purpose. I think it's got a role to play for some businesses, but not all. And, and what I didn't really believe with, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that every single customer in the world automatically starts with why. That's the bit that I'm questioning, not not brand purpose, really. Yeah, it was that was a long night, I'm telling you, though. <laughs> <laughs> Headache in the morning? L- little bit, yeah, little bit. I'm, 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 I'm not a good, uh, I'm, I'm not a strong drinker, as they would say. Uh, so, as you probably know, Brian, we, we always like to dedicate every show to somebody and we bestow or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guest who also has to give their reason why. So, would you do the honours? Quick bit of respect to my wife, who is my absolute hero. She absolutely genuinely is, Rachel. I, she's the best thing in my life. But I'm, 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 for the purpose of this, because it's a professional podcast, I'm, I'm going to dedicate it to a couple of folks I uh, haven't spoken to in many years, a lady called Caroline Hay and a guy called Andy Rawnsley, who I worked for back at at and and they gave me my first break. And I probably just want to say thank you to them. I doubt they'll hear this, but, um, yeah, I was really grateful they supported me moving from a software analyst path to a marketing career. So, yeah, great. Thank you, both of you hear this. That's a great dedication. Thank you. So as a final call to action, then, if everyone listening heads over to this episode online, they can see everything that we've discussed and all the associated links. How else can we get more Brian McCready? I'm on LinkedIn as Brian McCready. Yeah, I've never really checked if there's more, more than one of us. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn's pretty decent. And, and I'm on Twitter quite a bit, at uh, BM Marketer. So yeah, come, come hang out. And I'm sorry if I tweet lots of nonsense. Apologies in advance. Well, thank you for joining us, Brian. It's been a, a real pleasure uh, and, a, and a privilege to talk to you. Yeah, thanks a lot, buddy. I really appreciate being asked and um, I hope I didn't offend too many people. <laughs> time will tell. No, time will tell. And a final thank you to everyone listening and supporting the show. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do take a look back at previous guests. We've been really blessed with some wonderfully talented, intelligent, creative minds. Please continue to get in touch with the show with your guest requests, questions to put to those guests. We've had dozens of those in recently. It's easy to find Gasp online. We are on Instagram at CTAPod or simply email the show via hello at calltoaction.co. There's only one thing 
Oh, cunty fucking bollocks. Oh, shit, fuck.